The Guardian. With less than a week until July 19th, when remaining coronavirus restrictions will be lifted, some of us were a little bit confused on Monday when, from Downing Street, Boris Johnson urged extreme caution. It's this kind of rhetoric that makes the idea of next Monday being Freedom Day all the more confusing. But are lockdown and liberty really in opposition, or do we need more thought and psychological insight when thinking about how we talk about restrictions and their being lifted? And the evidence, not just from this pandemic, from every pandemic, shows, and not particularly surprisingly, that one of the key factors in people's behaviour, in their adherence, in their acting responsibly, is their sense that there is a risk. From The Guardian, I'm Shivani Dave, and this is Science Weekly. Before those announcements happened, I spoke to Stephen Riker, a member of the SAGE subcommittee advising on behavioural science and a leading authority on crowd psychology. He spoke to me in a personal capacity, following an opinion piece he wrote for The Guardian about how the mixed messages here are affecting our behaviour. Whenever we talk about easing, we, we, we talk about restrictions. But of course, in many ways, my, uh, there's also supporting us to do the right thing. And my concern is that when the government says, right, we're getting rid of uh, all measures, um, it also means, you know, where are going to be the measures to, to support people to do the right thing? And in many ways, I think the problem throughout the pandemic is we've talked too much about restrictions and not enough about support. In terms of my own feeling, it feels to me a huge risk and a hugely dangerous risk. So, I mean, after 18 months of living um, in this pandemic, lives obviously have been lost and people are losing their livelihoods. Would it be more appropriate to see this removal of restrictions as more of an ethical choice of economics versus public health? The distinction, or at least the opposition, between economics and public health has always been a false opposition. Because it's long been argued, and now there's very clear evidence to support it, that those countries which act early and act decisively and get on top of the pandemic, do better in terms of public health, do better in terms of the economy, and do better in terms of civil liberties because they've got to take measures for a shorter period of time. So, of course, the economy is important. And actually, of course, the economy impacts upon lives and livelihoods. So we're talking about stopping the pandemic so we can get back to uh, uh, ordinary activities, uh, and that's good always round. What would you like to see as we move forward in terms of the restrictions? If you want to deal with the pandemic, then you need to support people and help people to uh, be able to do things that keep themselves safe. Now, we've seen some of that, of course. The furlough scheme was an example of it, but we should be going far, far further. I mean, the first thing is we need a far more effective um, uh, test and trace system. That's always been a huge problem, to have a centralised system rather than a system which is locally based with local uh, contact tracers who know their patch, who people trust, who can go and knock on doors if people don't answer phones and so on. We need more of that so we can pick up infections more quickly. Secondly, and again, this has been argued throughout the pandemic, never been done, We need to support people more to self-isolate because not only is it financially difficult to do, it's practically difficult to do. What do you do 
if you live in a crowded house? How can you self-isolate there? What do you do about getting medicines and getting food? What do you do about your caring responsibilities? What do you do about walking the dog? We need to give people far more support. And you find that where more support is given, you tend to get more compliance. Most people, and the evidence shows this very clearly, most people want to do the right thing to keep themselves safe and others safe. And moving forward equally, the problem is that when you say we need to keep measures, people immediately think you're trying to restrict them. No, the measures we need are the sensible, proportionate public health measures to help people keep themselves and their families and their communities safe. So with the restrictions versus support argument that you're putting forward here, do you think on a personal basis, obviously we've seen so many people saying that they don't want to live in a society with these sort of restrictions, they've been called draconian. Do you think that if we sort of change that focal point to the support that individuals who might think in that mindset that we are being sort of oppressed right now might see the way that they want to engage with the community in a slightly different way? Well, the first thing is that when you look at, again, when you look at all the evidence, yes, there are loud voices talking about tyranny and talking about restrictions. Actually, a pretty clear majority of people, number one, um, uh, say they will continue to wear masks and they will continue to distance. And number two, believe that that should be maintained. So the majority still believe that while the pandemic is raging, and it is raging, it makes sense to play safe. Um, The second point, however, is that I do think the way we frame this whole thing is really unhelpful. I think thinking of it in terms of uh, lockdown versus liberty uh, turns any measure of any sort at all into something symbolic, a matter of symbolic politics, a matter of taking my liberty away. Now, if we got away from this lockdown liberty simple binary, we could have a sensible conversation about what are the proportionate measures that we should take to keep ourselves safe. Measures that are proportionate in the sense that they maximize safety and they minimize uh, inconvenience and limitation. And that's something we always do in society when we discover a new risk. When, for instance, we begin to see the amount of uh, deaths and injuries there are on the roads, we begin to institute speed limits. And we begin to say that um, uh, that people should wear seatbelts and we institute drink driving laws. And people don't say, well, because I can't drive at 100 miles an hour on the wrong side of the road without a seatbelt having drunk eight pints, my liberty is taken away and I live in North Korea. I mean, that, nobody uh, would, would, would give any credence uh, to that. And in the same way, we should be saying, well, what, what, what are the things that we should be doing um, to keep ourselves safe in a post-COVID world, in a world where uh, there might still be outbreaks? Instead of having balanced and proportionate discussions, we're turning this into a symbolic politics of liberty and lockdown, of good and evil, um, of casting those who disagree uh, with us into in, as, as tyrants or as fools or whatever. And that gets away from good, sensible, democratic conversation. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up, actually, because there have been lots of comparisons to the fact that voluntary face mask wearing will be like the new Brexit, which is something that you touched upon in your opinion piece. Could you expand on that a little bit here, please? Well, as I say, to date, 
we have tended to accept that that, that face mask, uh, wearing face masks, is something um, that you know we should do. We should do it for ourselves, and we should do for others. Um, Actually, if you look at the uh, the figures, not only self-report figures, incidentally, but observational data, wearing of face masks um, went up very, very rapidly um, when uh, the policy was introduced last year, not because it was enforced, but because simply the policy itself sent a very clear signal that this was important and people did it and people continued to do it to a, to a very large degree. Once you take that away, number one, the very act of taking away the policy will signal to people um, very strongly, oh, well, this can't be that important because if it was important, they wouldn't be taking the policy away. So, you know, the, the policy itself sends a message which undermines uh, people wearing masks and, their, and, and, and undermines safety. But more than that, you will then create a situation in which, in a way, you have two moral groups uh, or, or morally opposed groups. And that can lead to social division. It can lead to social conflict. So I think there is a very real danger that it, it will be unhelpful and divisive and create conflict. Like Brexit, there are lots of reasons different people voted to leave the EU. Do we therefore need to be careful about stereotyping people in this way about mask wearing? Absolutely. I'm saying that there are problems both ways round. So we shouldn't demonise people who, who, who don't wear masks. Many people don't wear masks because they have very good reasons. As with many policies, you will have uh, you will have exceptions, as we do now. So you're not going to force people to wear a mask if it really does cause them harm. But at the same time, on the whole, in society, we don't give people freedoms to do things that harm other people disproportionately. So bringing things back to the here and now, working on the assumption that there won't be another delay to this so-called Freedom Day, how much can we expect behaviour to change before rules do? Mm. In talking about Freedom Day, you also convey the message, not only you're taking restrictions away, but you're taking restrictions away because we are free from the dangers of COVID, that um, uh, we don't need to worry anymore. And that encourages people to behave in ways that actually are going to increase infections. I, I think if you said, look, okay, we're making a balanced judgment and um, we've made this decision, at least people would still be aware that there were risks. And if the government is claiming that what it's doing is it's, uh, if it, in a sense, it's segueing away from restrictions to what it calls responsibility, then you don't want to do it in a way that undermines people acting responsibly because they don't think there's anything to do. And the Evidence, not just from this pandemic, from every pandemic, shows, and not particularly surprisingly, that one of the key factors in people's behaviour, in their adherence, in their acting responsibly, is their sense that there is a risk. So why, in that case, are announcements made so far in advance? Would there not be some people who have the mindset of what differences a few days make and then take it upon themselves to stop following the current um guidance that's in place, knowing that those rules will be changing soon? Mm. Well, this is a difficult one, because I think there are different factors which are important for the public and for uh, businesses and institutions. I mean, the danger for the public of talking about dates way in advance is that it, it renders people passive. It says, this is going to happen. And so if you name a date, people invest in that date. They invest in it emotionally and in it practically. They book holidays and, and, and so on. So they're going to be much more upset if it doesn't happen. 
And of course, the government invests in it uh, politically. They've staked their claim that we're going to open up on this date. And if they don't, um, they will have failed. So it becomes much more difficult for them to back out when the data looks bad. I can see, however, for businesses, you know, you can't uh, open up overnight. Um, that you need a little bit of time to, uh, to arrange things and to organize things and to hire staff and if you're a restaurant to buy in food and so on. So I do think you need a little bit of notice. There needs to be a compromise. But more generally, I think one of the great problems we've had with the roadmap is that the rhetoric was data, not dates. The reality was dates, not data. Because in many ways, actually, whether the government have been uh, following the science or not, the public clearly have. And it's quite interesting that when you look at attitudes to reopening on the 21st of June, when that was going to be, you know, the uh, the key date, actually, public opposition to that rose very quickly as the scientific evidence began to show uh, the new Delta variant, its transmissibility, uh, the rising infections, the need to de- deal with it. The government was much, much slower. Something you touched on in your piece was the fact that behavioural psychology has become uh, very much in the forefront of people's minds during this pandemic. But like the government saying we're following the science, there is no such thing as the science or the psychology. Is that important for people to understand that there are no 100% correct answers here? Well, I mean, the first thing to be said is you're quite right. Everybody now recognises that behaviour is a critical part in dealing with the pandemic because the spread of the virus very much depends upon human behaviour, upon human proximity. Um, So it becomes a critical factor. And uh, addressing the psychology and getting the psychology right is really important. The problem is, I think, that the government has gone on what you might call folk psychology, popular assumptions about how people will behave, and that's led them into very serious errors indeed. So, you know, there is a popular assumption that uh, uh, people are pretty uh, psychologically fragile at the best of times, we're not very rational, we're not very good at dealing with probability or uncertainty, and in particular, in a crisis, we panic. We become totally irrational. We don't do uh, the right thing. And therefore, you can't trust the public. The public are a problem. So you've got to, you know, in, in, in some sense, whether subtly or less subtly, uh, coerce them into doing the right thing. Um, that was a really strong assumption. And actually, uh, well, this was reasonably clear from previous research on disasters, but it certainly became clear uh, during the pandemic. Actually, something very different happens that in a pandemic, because we're all, in a sense, uh, facing the same realities, the same experiences, the same challenges, that shared experience leads to a shared sense of identity, a sense of we, a sense of community. And once people start thinking in terms of we rather than I, then actually, number one, they begin to act for each other and also assume that others will act for them. There's a sense that others are there to support you. And that sense of support is what gives people a sense of being able to cope. They become resilient. And again, resilience isn't what is in individuals. It's what happens between individuals. And we've seen that pretty clearly in all sorts of ways in the pandemic. Now, I'm not saying it lasts forever. And what the government does is actually rather important in whether it lasts or whether it doesn't last. But I think it's important that we understand properly the psychological processes in order to do the right things to build that resilience, to build that solidarity, to build that support that takes us through the pandemic. 
So finally, a big part of the government's strategy here and at previous times during the pandemic, it seems to be putting power back in the hands of people to decide what does and doesn't work for them. Is that not a good thing in general then? Of course it's a good thing. But to give people responsibility and to help people exercise responsibility, it, it's not good enough just to say over to you. You've got to ask, well, what, what is necessary? For people to exercise their responsibilities? What is necessary for people to be able to do the right thing for themselves and for others? And the first thing you need is clear information. The second thing is you might want to do something, but in this world you can't do it um, without resources to do it. You know, you can't uh, stay self-isolated unless you can afford to do it. This mantra, this rhetoric of responsibility isn't about people taking responsibility. It's a cover. It's an excuse for government to avoid their responsibilities and to leave us alone and leave us unsupported in the midst of a huge health crisis, in the midst of a huge pandemic. And that certainly is not a good thing. Thanks so much for your time, Stephen. <laughs> no problem. Bye then. We'll drop a link to Stephen's opinion piece and links to the latest reporting about restrictions and the pandemic from The Guardian in the podcast's webpage. If you've got any thoughts, feedback or episode ideas, drop us a message at scienceweekly at theguardian.com. Science Weekly will be back on Thursday, but bye for now. For more great podcasts from The Guardian... Just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts.